0: February 13th, 2013. Today's topic is all about workforce management, specifically where workforce management meets workforce morale and some lessons you can use. Now, if you're listening live today, we want to invite you to be a part of the show and ask questions. It's really easy, and here's how you can do it. You can either email me at brian at benchmarkportal.com, likely the uh, most favored way to do it. Otherwise, if you're listening on the phone or close to one, you can call in and actually talk on the show with us as well. That number to call in is 347-857-3117. And make sure to press the number 1 on your phone to let me know that you have a question, and I'll get you in. The first person to ask a live question on the phone today will receive a free $1,500 benchmarking survey from Benchmark Portal. So, also, if you can't catch us live, I want to remind you that we have all of our shows archived and available to listen to at BenchmarkPortal.com any time of the day. So, I'd like to introduce the host of Call Talk Now, Bruce Belfiore. Welcome back
1: to Call Talk, everyone. And uh, today's topic is on WFM, Workforce Management Meets Workforce Morale. Now, we all know that successful workforce management in reality is as much the art of human management as it is the science of scheduling, particularly with centers that need to staff beyond the normal eight-to-five-hour slots. It isn't always easy to keep people happy when they're working the graveyard shift or Thanksgiving Day, or Super Bowl Sunday. These can be tough issues for the call center manager. So we brought in an expert on the topic for you, Ed Porbaugh. Ed has held a number of positions in warehousing, transportation, and information technology and operations during his 17-year career with Cisco Food Services. Prior to his current role, he managed the IT operations for the Southwestern United States, and was a project manager for several successful enterprise-wide software development projects. Ed was an integral part of the design and implementation of Cisco's new call centers in Houston and Dallas, Texas. Currently, he's responsible for the operational and quality performance of the support center, including the management of telephony and other technology platforms used to deliver a cost-effective and customer-focused experience. Ed graduated from the University of New Mexico with a Bachelor of Arts in English and a minor in environmental science. Ed and I first met at a conference last year, and we talked as much about uh, scouting, because we're both active parents in scouting, as we did about call centers and had a really good time together. (laughs) And one of the things we realized is that a big transferable concept from scouting to call center management is be prepared for anything. (laughs) So, anyway, with that, it's my pleasure
2: to welcome Ed Porbach. Well, thanks, Bruce, and you sure are right on uh, Be Prepared, A Good Life Lesson. Um, I'm really uh, very excited uh, to share with you and the audience today what we're doing at Cisco. Um, And during that last visit, uh, you asked me a, a strange question and one I hadn't really thought of, but how many miles did our company drive in a year? Well, uh, we we have the largest privately owned fleet of of trucks in North America. And last year, we drove approximately 250 million miles. So that's equivalent Mm. of going to the moon and back uh, 525 times. Or to put it in a Mm. really large scale, we could drive to the sun and back two times. So it's fascinating when you start looking at that. Okay. So. Yeah. The
1: only thing is, all that f- wonderful food would melt if you did that. But so I'm yeah, running. yeah, we'd have to figure a way around that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a lot of driving, and there's a lot of phoning that goes on behind that, certainly, because obviously orders have to be phoned in, et cetera. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Ed, let me ask you: How long has Cisco had a call center, and how did you first become involved with it?
2: You know, uh, that's a really good question with a funny story. Um, We received our first call the morning of April 17, 2011, so almost two years now. Um, The project to set up the support center actually began about four years ago as part of Cisco's implementation of a shared business services model. I received a a call one day from a friend uh, who was working on the project asking if I knew anything about phone systems. I think the question went something like, do you know anything about IVRs? I said, you mean an interactive voice response? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I explained about uh, how I had worked at Citibank and then at uh, Cisco and how I had worked on telephone equipment. Well, we ended the call. Um, The next day I received a call asking me if I wanted to join the project as the technology lead designing the telephone system. I accepted the position, um, and over the next two years, I traveled every week between my home in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Houston, Texas. Um, I felt sometimes like I was going to the sun. <laughs> um, I was on a first-name basis with most of the TSA officers um, and many of the flight flight attendants in both airports. Uh, nothing like having a, a flight delay, standing in line, and having the person working the counter wave at you and say, Hey, Ed, um, I don't think the other passengers really appreciated it. So <laughs> that's kind yeah, of how no, I got involved in this project.
1: Well a great way of doing it. Actually the, the day after would have been the eighteenth of April for the uh, first day of the the project. And I think about the you know, the midnight ride of Paul Revere and there they had one if by land and two if by sea and that's all the communication they had. Things were yeah. a lot easier back then, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: We got in that a to a whole with a
1: note. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, can you, can you imagine if instead it had been a, a, an incoming call to a call center, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Paul Revere? Um uh, yeah. Anyway, well, I understand you helped the uh, telephony
2: platform, but how did you get involved in the workforce management scheduling? You know, um, it, it's really funny when I think about it. Um, as we be- began through this project, we were so focused on designing our processes and the IVRs um, that we literally were halfway through the project when we realized we needed to have agents to answer the calls coming into this world-class call center we were building. And, and it was funny, yes. we just blank stared at each other. But as I recall, someone said, hey, Ed is good with numbers. Uh, let him do the forecasting and scheduling. And hopefully most of the people on the call know this, but I felt like Mikey from the Life Serial commercials. Um, kind of like, hey, nobody else wants to do it. Give it to Ed. He'll do it. <laughs> um <and laughs> I sure do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um so throughout my career I've I've managed employees and schedules. Um but it was really an informal process. We were open Monday through Friday, you know, typical business hours 8 to 5. Um if I needed 10 people, I just scheduled 10 people. There was never a lot of thought um put into the scheduling. And honestly, if we needed overtime to complete a task, um, we just told people to work. Uh, That attitude just doesn't work in today's marketplace or in a support center. Um, And I found out, you know, very quickly uh, that workforce management is more complicated than building a telephone platform or even writing a software program. There's so many moving parts in it.
1: Yeah, no, there is a lot, and there's that human element that somehow has to be uh, baked into the whole thing. Uh, Well, It sounds like you've had an interesting time there at Cisco. It's sort of like, uh, okay, Ed stayed at Holiday Inn Express so he can do anything, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what are the major issues uh, you encounter in workforce management scheduling, actually doing the guts of the thing? You know,
2: um, I think the complexity... um, is in the fact that there are so many, like we talked, so many moving parts and variables. Um, it really all begins with forecasting. You know, you have to ask mm. yourself, do I have the right amount of call history? Um, and being a numbers guy, you know how important it is statistically to have a, a, enough of a sample.
1: Um, yes, key you know, stuff, key
2: information. Yeah. And you, you also have to account for any anomalies in that data and really um, know your history, speaking of Paul Revere. Um, have you gathered enough input for future events and con- considered the uh, the impact uh, to the staffing levels you need? For example, is your sales department running a, a huge promotion that will increase call volumes? Um, even with a very accurate forecast, you still have to plan for future events. And as of yet, I've not been able to get my magic eight ball to work 100% of the time. Um, mm. I think all workforce people have in- encountered staffing issues when flu season or as we're approaching, uh, the spring fever season breaks out. You, you also have to be aware of intraday or ad hoc demands on schedules, for example, system outages or emergent, emergency training if it's required. Finally, mm-hmm. the, the most difficult part, um, and we've talked about it in the past, um, is the balance between that life-work ratio for call center agents um, in juxtaposition with their um, financial work uh, ratio that we need for the business bingo i mean that's that's a biggie uh
1: so tell us about how you think of that
2: you know um it kind of goes back to what i said earlier when when i entered the workforce it was easy to schedule people um you know even when i was a kid and had my first job you were told you know when you needed to work and you just worked um mm-hmm. the it's interesting. The workforce is, has really become, I think, generationally diverse as an ecosystem. And I often joke to to some of the older guys here about watching the boomers try to make sense of the Gen Xers, facebooking, and the Gen Yers tweeting about the boomers watching the Xers. And you really have to be, you know, you have to be attuned to everybody's um, generation and and look at that as you schedule and staff. Yeah, no, that, that adds
1: uh, several layers of extra complexity that you have to deal with. Uh, so, okay, um, you know, here things really get interesting. How how do you find this work-life balance with the
2: fluctuation of call volumes and with this diverse ecosystem? Well, I, I think if anybody can discover it, it, it would be considered the holy grail of scheduling. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. When you can create schedules that agents slash employees love, well, I mean, I guess at least like and meet the financial and service levels required of the business, it's a it's a very good thing. Um, yep. First, you have to be extremely diligent, like we've said, in the forecasting phase of scheduling. You know, at a minimum, you have to make sure that in addition to using computers with databases and spreadsheets, that you engage all levels of management to make sure all bases are covered. Mm-hmm. Additionally, it's important to have a, a walkabout. Um, you know, where you visit with the agents on the floor to get a sense about how the systems are working. I can't tell you how many um, times I've been walking through the floor and gained valuable insights um, just by walking about. Um, but... you know- even- Glad that you brought that up because
1: this is this is something that we we see more and more, but we don't still don't see enough. And in terms of uh, the amount of walkabout that you do, can you give us an idea in your position of uh, how much you do that actually, and you know how that works?
2: Yeah, you know, I can tell you um, probably in the morning. I mean, there's two functional call centers. In the morning, I visit with the small one. And it may just be a five- to a ten-minute thing. Um, if there's a not go, not a lot going on there, it's also a great opportunity to have a personal touch with your agents. And I think that mm-hmm. really helps build that relationship to where when I have to ask somebody to work a less-than-desirable shift, at least they know that personally I understand them or I get them. Um, in right. our larger center, Probably the same amount, maybe a little less because they have a higher call volume. But, again, it's a daily um, task that I perform, our call center manager performs, and it's just to get the touch back to build the relationships with our agents. Mm -hmm. That's great. So daily is you do it on a daily basis. That's
1: great to hear. Yes. Okay. uh, Yeah. Yeah, please uh, tell us more.
2: Okay. So I think – you know also you have to think about scheduling from an agent's perspective would you want to work that schedule that you're producing sure it meets the business mm-hmm. needs but is it really could you make it a better opportunity for the agent um mm-hmm. and this can be a really difficult task you know as as i prepared to talk today um i was talking to my father about what i do for a living and uh well his response was well back in my day <laughs> um, and and it, was, it was funny because I think we're seeing this change in workforce. Um, as we prepare schedules right now, my team and I focus on the needs of the business. I, I won't lie to you about that. But it's our obligation to also, you know, while it's, we're being good stewards of our company assets, um, that's why we focus on that. But in the same vein, in the same vein we believe that our, ass, our agents are also assets of our company. They aren't resources, but they, they truly are assets to us. We've invested yeah. in them and we want them to stay here. So. Right, right. No, I remember uh, back in
1: a previous career, people saying, you know, your best assets walk out the door each evening, and you want to make sure they walk in the door the next morning. So, uh, yeah, very important yeah. stuff. Well, help our help our listeners with your take on, on what's really a tough nut. You know, how do you approach scheduling for the less desirable shifts and for overtime?
2: Okay. Um, you know, no matter how hard uh, we try, there are always going to be shifts that are difficult to staff, especially in centers that do not use shift bidding. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm well, not, it, 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 what do you think of shift bidding? Um, I'm not a big fan of shift bidding because it has, to me, inherent flaws, and I believe it leads to higher turnover rates and truly less engaged, less engaged agents. Um, okay, I'm a, we fan have of, a I'm sorry, yeah,
1: tell, tell us what you do like. No, no, I was just saying uh, we could have a, a, another session on that, but uh, tell us what you do believe and what you do use. Okay,
2: um, I believe in rotational scheduling with agent preferences. Um, this spreads the good with the bad across all agent levels. Um, Also, it allows all agents to experience the different types of calls that arrive throughout operational hours. You know, historically, um, centers pay a shift differential for less desirable shifts. I think this is okay, uh, but I think there are better ways to accomplish the same task. Um, We actually publish the shifts and ask for volunteers. Again, there, there are some people that, may want to work that shift. We've seen that leveraging and looking at some of our generational folks, they actually like to work the weekend shift because they want to do their shopping in the week when everybody else is working. Um, Volunteers don't need to participate in the rotational process, and they also have fixed schedules for three months. So they know Mm -hmm. what's going to be coming on. So that's a real benefit for us. Um, I I think... There a lot of managements
1: who don't know that if they simply ask the question, they may be surprised with the answer, and the answer could be better than they think in terms of people willing and desiring to, to do uh,
2: certain odd hours, et cetera. So, yeah, great that you do that. And, you know, additionally, um, we try to attempt to create schedules that contain a three and four days off when rolling from one week to another. So telling an agent they will receive an extra 24 vacation days a year is a huge win for us, and it's free. Mm. It's you know there's no cost to do that, and that really does help us get to that work-life balance. Um, I w- an- another thing that we've done is um, using my experience in the transportation uh, area where I started my career at Cisco. I think operationally, it it was the same as as call center staffing. The only difference is that we needed drivers, not agents, to drive our trucks and not answer calls. Fundamentally, though, um, it really gets down to putting seats in seats. When we were were there, um, we used what was called an extra board list that drivers would place their names on, um, stating they wanted to be considered for overtime runs. So in the call center... Um, we can use the same list. So at the beginning of each month, we pull agents asking who wants to be on the OT list and who and who is available if we need to modify schedules. So typically we get about 50% of our agents uh, that sign up for what we call the extra port. So it takes the burden off of operations and our managers to say, oh, wow, we had a, we've had an event, we need people to work overtime, let's ping the entire force. We just start working down the extra board and approach those people. They're aware that they volunteered for it, and they accept it. And to date, we haven't had any issues covering shifts.
1: That's great. Now, that kind of cross-fertilization where you actually look around the enterprise or from previous experience and say, what can I adapt uh, from that past experience or from what other people are doing to solve a problem for myself, I think that's great. That's brilliant. I, I think that will be very helpful to some of our listeners.
2: Yeah, and, you know, the agents still get the financial compensation of overtime. Um, but I think the the more important thing is they get this sense of empowerment and engagement. They truly believe that they're helping solve this problem that we have. It, it's it's wonderful to see it happen.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, uh, it's... I think it it really allows everybody the opportunity to to engage in whatever level they want, and it removes considerable stress. Like I said, from us and from the volunteers, because it's not you know we don't have to tell somebody to work, we're asking. So it's it's a really good thing. Um, I think the other part of it is I, I kind of have my own management style, um, and I'm growing that throughout our our operational department, I call it one step um, by leadership, and my core belief is that leaders, and and we've talked about it in the walkabout, but um, my core belief is that leaders need to be in the trenches with those they lead. Uh, They need to be no more than one step away um, at any time. Sometimes we lead from the front, sometimes uh, from behind to push and to coach, and sometimes from the side to provide guidance and really see what's happening uh, while they're working. For overtime and sub, I, I call them sub-desirable shifts, we require team leads and managers to work the shifts as well. This enables cohesion and builds strong teams because it's really yeah. not a good perspective if managers aren't working those shifts as well.
1: Yeah, no, that's a, a great uh, uh, you know concept, the one-step-by leadership. So you can be one step behind, one step forward, one step next to but always engaged. I mean, every part of that is engagement with the people who are actually doing the work. And I've talked to other uh, call center managers who have a similar uh, approach to it and also will bring in, you know, the banana bread or something like that when they're on the off shift with a group of people who maybe aren't really happy to be there but, um, you know, uh, are happy that they're being supported by their managers. So I think that's a, a great point. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and how you know, about, I, uh, how about? Go ahead. Uh-huh. No, no, no. I was just going to ask about reward
2: programs and uh, okay. incentives. What, uh, what, what about that sort of thing? Well, it doesn't get much better than fresh baked banana bread. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you know, I think some industry cha- trends and in, in what we've seen in um, other companies that we're working with uh, are the, the latest device, and we raffle that. Um, so, for example, you know, an iPad or the Microsoft Surface. And what happens uh, is that for every undesirable shift or whatever you determine you need to do to motivate people to cover those shifts, they would receive an entry into the raffle. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have a raffle. And again, you could do it every month or every quarter. Uh, those are expensive devices, so that would be a long term uh, project. We found that. Uh, Folks really like that. We don't do, right now, I think the biggest thing we've we've raffled off is a smiley face coffee mug. Um, But people get competitive (laughs) about it, and it's it's exciting. Um, You know, I think we've talked about food. People love food. Well, most people, um, especially if you're in the food industry. Um, And it's a great motivator. Um, Not during all shifts, but during some of the shifts, uh, we do bring in food. You know, we've had um, popcorn and cookie days, where people will bring in um, a cookie that they want to share with the team. And it, it's uh, potlucks are also a good way to build teams. And you can also offer um, off-site meals with the management team, so that can become a raffitable—I don't know if that's a word—but a raffable <laughs> item or winnable <laughs> item. I don't know. Yeah, sorry, a winnable <laughs> item. <laughs> and and yeah. agents love it and it also builds into this you know management by walking around concept that you're building that team and um mm-hmm. you know you really do look at people as an asset and you know it I also believe that there's no reason that an agent that's motivated couldn't end up being a manager one day and so right, I, that's right. a good report no, it's
1: good. Yeah, it uh, shows them uh, where they could be at some point. Okay, well, we're we're running a little bit short on time here. Do you have any further points before we hand it over to to Brian for a couple of uh, questions? But uh, these are these are great
2: points that you're making. So I I hate to shut it off. No, I you know I think the best thing, uh, the only advice I have is be creative in the scheduling and and don't get bound to the paradigm. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay.
2: And motivation's good. a good thing.
1: Yep. Yeah, very good. Well, listen, these are great insights. And uh, Brian, uh, do you have
0: some questions from the audience that we can we can uh, bring in here? I sure do. Yeah, I've got a couple questions here that came in on email. And so uh, let's see. The first one is from Susan, and Susan asks, uh, what are your thoughts about the monetary incentives?" As you've already mentioned, some of the uh, the objects or technical devices. How about the monetary incentives?
2: You know, I, I think they're okay, uh, but you have to be really careful because of the tax implications. Uh, for this reason, we don't offer um, gift cards or any other monetary incentives. So mm-hmm. y- you can use them if you want, but you do need to, to be aware that um, employees will have to pay taxes regardless of the value of the, the card or the gift that you're giving them that has money attached to it.
1: mm mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, interesting.
0: Okay.
1: Good
0: point. Did you want to comment on that Bruce?
1: No, I I think that that's right. I mean, things have become complicated enough so that uh uh incentives that were offered even just a few years ago and seem to go under the radar screen just don't anymore. And uh so we've seen that as well. Uh everything needs to be accounted for and uh so these other incentives can be just as effective and don't present those complications. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: And from my standpoint, being one of the younger generations, uh, you know, if I was working, say, for uh, Apple, that would make a lot of sense to have that as part of the raffle, as something that uh, Apple would be selling, or like you with food and Cisco, where that's something that's, number one, easy for you guys to get a hold of, but also uh, a lot of times people that work at a certain uh, company really uh, enjoy that product already. So that's a really good idea. Um, all right, right. so an- another question. Uh, this is from Henry this time, and uh, Henry asks, what is your attendance rate for these types of shifts? Right now um, using the extra board
2: list and some of the motivational um, tools that we've discussed, we don't have issues getting these shifts covered. Um, I haven't had a shift where nobody showed up. Um, I think our biggest thing is this latest rash of flu probably hit us harder than people not showing up for their their shifts so we don't have a problem Um, getting shifts covered, and I think a lot of it is a testament to the culture we're we're building here.
0: And like you said, too, that the fever that a lot of people are going to get soon, the the spring fever. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think I already feel that for some reason. Um. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I've got one more uh question uh from email and this came in from Mia and uh it sounds like uh, Ed she wants to to see your, your cards here a little bit and asking what is your forecasting accuracy?
2: Okay. Mm, okay. And
0: that's, put you on the on the
2: uh spot here, Ed. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great question. Um so I'll see that and raise you twenty five cents. Um <laughs> the uh so for the last 12 months, we're running about minus 7% accuracy, meaning we've under forecast by 7%. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, Bruce, what the benchmark number is or what a good one is. We were really happy with that number considering we were a new center and uh, kind of didn't know what we were doing and have kind of done an on-the-job training with it. What's a good benchmark for that?
1: I I think that is a good benchmark for uh center with your uh short history and complexity and uh, the fact that I mean people are ordering uh around the clock and on holidays and uh you know if you're a restaurant you're ordering at any time am I right Yes yeah, you're right pretty yeah. much yeah. Yep. So it's very different. I mean, the standard that you'd be held to would be different than the standards that uh, a, a 9 to 5 center that has been operating for 20 years in a very um, you know, static industry would be. So I I think that's a good performance. I'd I'd say hats off to you,
2: and it'll probably get better. It will get better in fact with diligence over time. So that's great. Yes, we're we're actually for our, our next fiscal year, we want it to be under 5%. That's that's my goal for my department and I, d- I think it's kind of a stretch goal, but I think it's very attainable. Hmm. Sounds good. Oh, well done.
1: Well, I think we're at the uh, the bottom of the hour and uh, pretty much out of time at this point. But this has been really a fascinating uh, look through a very, very important area and one that people talk about. I hear a lot of complaints about, but uh, not everyone has really come up with all the solutions you have. So I think this is going to be a very Useful uh, segment of uh, Call Talk for people even in the future. So, uh, thank you very much for coming on board. Uh, you can drop off that uh, load of uh, heirloom tomatoes and uh, <laughs> uh, onions and mo- mozzarella uh, <laughs> at, at my house later on today.
2: <laughs> and the steaks,
1: Bruce. Sure. The steaks. You forgot the steaks. Oh, the steaks, absolutely. Want <laughs> the steaks. Uh, looking forward to that very much for being on Ed. It. it's it's really been a delight it, it's it been my pleasure thanks like always i've enjoyed talking with you okay great well brian uh back over to you to wrap things up
0: okay sounds good uh ed i just ask that you let me know the exact time that you're going to deliver those goods to bruce so i can just uh, make sure they get there
2: <laughs> I, I will because you're supposed to bring the wine
0: yeah oh, okay now we're talking all right this is going to be a good day <laughs> well, th- thank you so much, Ed. I uh, appreciate all the great insights that you provided us today. And of course, our host, Bruce Belfiore, uh, some really good uh, points and definitely some lessons that we hope you can use in your own contact center. So, I do want to remind everyone that we have another show coming up uh, next month. That's going to be March 13th. And uh, we're going to talk about employee engagement on that show. Employees definitely a crucial, a very, very crucial element to the contact center. So, also, don't forget to sign up for a free reality check benchmark report to see how you your contact center is comparing to others in the like industry so uh, beyond that from all of us here at benchmark portal we're reminding to keep those headsets steady and your fingers ready this is brian carrington signing out have a great day